Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to To Have and to Kill. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. For those of you that don't know, To Have and to Kill is our newest spinoff show where I tell Daniel cases of couples who kill. Twice the fun. <laughs> twice the murder. Well, no. Same murder, twice as many people. Killing one bird with two stones. That's... <laughs> I don't. Never mind. Uh, so usually I have Daniel do factoids, but I give him parameters. And it's usually the year or where the crime happened. But I am staring at 34 pages of typed out notes. Goodness. So I kind of took a deep dive into this case. Do you want to just say what the year make model of the car is that we're going to be covering? Uh, 1940s. Fort? Oh, that would have been interesting to do factoids on. I know. On. I'm sorry. We just don't have time. We got to... We got to get through this because I was going to do this in two different parts, but I really didn't want to. So here we go. Perfect. Begin. Are you ready? Begin. (laughs) Daniel, are you ready for my case? No. (laughs) Shut up. Hurry up. (laughs) This is the case of Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck, also known as the Lonely Hearts Killers. Now, I do need to give a little bit of a warning, especially to Daniel. There is the death of a young girl in the story, but I will try to be as respectful as possible. Okay. I mean, unfortunately, it's reality. I know. So, But I did make a promise to you and to our 11 listeners that I wouldn't do kid murders. But sometimes we got to skim over it, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like a promise made in blood. We didn't get a sharp or dull knife. No, but it is depressing. No one wants to hear about that. And if you do, then you probably shouldn't be listening to our show. That's true. I did get 90% of my information on this case from a book that I found titled Tortured with Love, The True Crime Romance of the Lonely Hearts Killers by J.T. Hunter. Awesome. It has a very catchy title. I was really happy that I found it. Torture. Because there's a lot of misinformation on this case. So I'm glad to have a book to say, hey, if you don't believe me, it's in a book. So there you go. So is it basically a description of marriage tortured with love? Absolutely it is. Okay. Do you feel tortured with love? Sometimes. Okay. Around 11 p.m. on February 28, 1949, in Wyoming Township, Michigan, which is a suburb 10 miles south of Grand Rapids in Kent County, two detectives were knocking on the door of 3435 Byron Center Road, where 28-year-old Delaphine Downing and her young daughter, 2-year-old Raynell, resided. Concerned neighbors had phoned the local sheriff's office requesting they do a welfare check on the home and asked that they look into the brother and sister who had moved into Delaphine's home. The brother, Charles, 
Della's new love interest, had recently come into town and was monopolizing all of her time, taking Della away from all of her longtime friends. Now, Delphine is often referred to as Delphine, but she was known by the people that loved her as Della. Okay, fair enough. I've already lost who all these people are in the names. <laughs> it's. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess I wasn't paying attention. Daniel. Well, once neighbors saw Charles driving around in a brand new car, they became suspicious and believed the new roommates were, quote unquote, milking Della of her money. Now, Charles is Della's new love interest. Okay. And Martha is his sister. And they're staying with her. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Charles and Martha are brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Dell is Charles' girlfriend, but she's the one with the house. She has a house and the two-year-old daughter, Raynell. All right. The police were told that the young widow had left her daughter in the care of her two house guests while she left on an emergency trip to visit a sick relative. But when neighbors had gone to the home two days later to check on the little girl, Charles informed them that they had taken the two-year-old to her grandmother's home. The neighbors thanked Charles and left, but immediately felt a sense of dread. They knew that Della would never have left Raynell in the care of someone she had just recently met. She was a single mother and was extremely protective of her little girl especially after the tragic death of her husband, Roland, just two years earlier, when Raynell was just five months old. Oh, that sucks. Roland's truck had been struck by a Pennsylvania railroad train traveling 60 miles per hour. The truck was demolished, and Roland was pronounced dead on the scene. The train was owned by the very company that Roland worked for. Oh, jeez. The neighbors went with their gut and called the police, who arrived at the home shortly after. A slim man of Spanish descent answered the door. Standing next to him was a very heavy-set woman, Martha Martin, Charles' sister. Good evening, sir. Can you please tell me your name? One of the officers asked. Charles Martin, and may I please ask you who you are? I'm Detective Vanderband of the Kent County Sheriff's Office. Are you not Raymond Fernandez? With a startled expression, the man then said, If you already know that's my name, then it must be so. Wait, so his name isn't Charles? Mmm, maybe not. Who are all these people? <laughs> okay, There's well, so many people in that house. The detective continued, We'd like to talk to you about the disappearance of Delaphine Downing. Disappearance? I think there's been some confusion. Delaphine went to Detroit to visit friends. We're just watching the place for her. What about our little girl? asked the detective. The man answered that she went to Detroit with her mom. Well, Mrs. Downing's neighbors are quite concerned about her. Do you mind if we take a look around the house? The man answered, not at all. Go right ahead. The two detectives stepped inside the home, followed by uniformed police officers. 
While the detectives continued interviewing Charles and Martha, the officers began searching the home. In the home cellar, they discovered two freshly cemented areas. It did not take them long to break through the hardened surface to the dirt. With shovels in hand, they began to dig and soon uncovered a tragic sight. The bodies of Delaphine and Raynell Downing. Little Raynell's body was still warm to the touch, and the coroner called to the scene concluded that she had only been dead a few hours. Oh, jeez. A twenty-two caliber rifle and four boxes of twenty-two caliber long cartridges were found, along with a blood-stained ball-peen hammer found in the trunk. I have a ball-peen hammer. <laughs> I haven't hit anyone with it yet, but, you know, for some reason in, like, movies, they use a ball-peen hammer on people. I don't know why they that's so dramatic. Okay, but it's the smaller hammer that has the little ball on the end, right? It's rounded, and it's for different... You use it for different purposes, but... Most people use it to kill someone. Clearly. I yeah, feel that's like... that's not what it's for, but okay. I would think if you want to kill someone, you're going to use a big hammer. Like mm -hmm. a framing hammer, something you can really swing. I don't know. Yeah. The man calling himself Charles Martin was Raymond Fernandez. And the woman with him was not his sister. It was his lover, Martha Beck. Raymond Martinez Fernandez was born in December of 1914 in Honolulu, Hawaii. Ray's parents had immigrated from Spain. When Ray was 17, he moved to Spain with his mother while his strict disciplinarian father stayed behind. In January of 1934, 19-year-old Ray married Encarnacion Robles. Wow. That's quite a name. A dark-haired Spanish <laughs> beauty. The two soon had a son and three more children to follow. After fighting in two wars in less than a decade, the Spanish Civil War and World War II, Ray secured passage on the oil tanker, the Empire Jewel. The vessel was sailing from Spain and eventually making its way to New York. The plan was for Ray to make enough money for his wife and son and the rest of his kids to join him in America. Sure. I mean, if you So can, that was the whole plan. If you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. That's what they say. But a strong storm developed the very first day at sea. A six-foot-high, half-inch steel hatch smashed down onto Ray's head, leaving Ray with a permanent scar over three inches long on top of his forehead. He was known for his handsome good looks, including his luscious head of dark hair. But after the accident, his hair no longer grew in that area, and he started to lose the rest of his hair over time. And oh, his hair was wow. like a really big thing to him. Sure. So he bought toupees. Oh, like me. <laughs> yes. And Ray's personality changed drastically, according to friends and family. He became more aggressive, developed a strong sexual appetite, and had trouble distinguishing right from wrong. And he suffered from agonizing headaches for a really long time. So it almost seems like he had not just superficial damage like to his scalp, but possibly brain damage. Yeah, they're saying he had some brain trauma to the frontal lobe. But it made him 
enjoy adult aerobics a lot. It changed his personality. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Eventually, Ray made his way into Mobile, Alabama. He remained on the oil tanker for a few weeks to make some extra money. And when his duties were done, he began packing up to disembark. Ray noticed other employees hiding towels in their bags. Not thinking twice about it, he did too. Except he could not stop with only one towel. He grabbed multiple towels, sheets, and pillowcases and stuffed them in his bags. Ray was caught going through customs and was promptly arrested. Because of the pillowcases and the sheets? Yeah, he was stealing. Huh. He pled guilty to the theft charge and was sentenced to one year in federal prison. Oh, damn. During his 12-month stay, Ray became friendly with his cellmate, a Haitian man who practiced voodoo. He started learning all he could about the practice and decided to put his new knowledge to work. He wrote to the federal judge overseeing his case and asked for a reduced sentence. Persuaded by Ray's argument, the judge reduced his sentence to only six months. The letter worked. In turn, the hypnotism he developed through voodoo had worked. So he's saying that he got out of prison early because of his new voodoo practices. So he was able, in his mind, he was able to invoke voodoo hypnotism through a letter. Yes. And that someone could read the letter and be somewhat hypnotized because of the way he wrote. Exactly. Well, that's fascinating. I wonder if when we could do that. (laughs) In December of 1946... Ray caught a bus and headed to his sister's home in Astoria, New York, and got a job in construction. At his sister's, he saw an advertisement from a correspondence club called Old Chelsea Station. And I'm going to read you a couple of those ads. Oh, awesome. Do you know what a correspondence club is? No. I'm assuming they somehow correspond and exchange things. It's like a pen pal between the sexes. Trying to meet people. Because remember, this is after World War II. Yeah. And so there were a lot of lonely women out there in search of a mate. Gotcha. So this is before the dating apps. Well, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Now, this was an ad from a club in Kansas City, Missouri. Lonesome? Join Reliable Club. Established 1909. Members everywhere. Beautiful girls, nurses, teachers, widows, businessmen, farmers seeking congenial mates. Many claim wealth, dignified, dependable, and sure, we get results. Write for information and descriptions. Nice. All right, here's another club in Minneapolis, Minnesota that read, Lonely? Mail dollar bill. We'll send names and addresses of over 200 members of the opposite sex and list you in our club. Write us a letter giving age, height, weight, with good description of yourself, and kind of mate desired. These were really big back in the day. So it's like a total hookup club. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Ray got an idea, and he saw an easy way to make money. He sent in an application and a fee of $2. Within a few days, Ray received a list of over 300 women's names. Ages, descriptions, height, weight, eye color, hair color, 
religious practices, financial status, if they were a divorcee or widow, and their hobbies. Dang. Ray wrote letter after letter after letter to his unsuspecting and lonely victims. He also put a little voodoo magic into these letters. I mean, you may as well. It worked on the, the judge. Exactly. And women wrote him back in droves. He narrowed his list down to 205 prospects. Oh, that's it? Only 205? These were the ones with promising financials. Oh, wow. So this was his scam. Wow. He was going to scam these lonely heart women out of their money and do a little voodoo magic in between. So unfortunately, it sounds like women, at least in that area or that time, were pretty desperate. They were. Like I said, it was World War II or it was after World War II, which we obviously lost a lot of men. Tens of thousands of men. Yeah. And this was one of the ways for women to meet eligible bachelors. So they had to do what they had to do, right? All right. Okay. We're going to shift back to the night that the bodies were found. Okay. Gotcha. Ray and Martha were arrested for the murder of Della and her daughter, Raynell, but were also wanted for questioning in the disappearance of another woman, Mrs. Janet Fay from Albany, New York. Ray and Martha were escorted down to the police station where they were questioned separately till three in the morning. They each told the detectives that Della was a member of a correspondence club. Ray had received a letter of interest from her on January 4th. Della's loneliness was apparent in her letters, and the couple knew that Della would be an easy conquest. Ray and Martha were in the habit of scamming women out of their money by answering Lonely Hearts ads. Ray would pick a target, and the two would set out to scam the unsuspecting victim out of their money. In Ray's letters to Della, he would tell her how much he adored children and wanted to be a father, making sure to appeal to Della's love of her daughter. Wow. So they they were pretty good at this. They really were. Or they got good at it quick. I think he was pretty good at this right away. Yeah. He He knew what to do. He was a smooth operator. He was. I'm going to read you a letter from Della to Charles, who is Ray. Okay. Dear Charles, thank you for your thoughtful Christmas greetings. Christmas is so busy with its hustle and bustle and the lull afterwards is such a letdown. It gives me an empty, lonely feeling. New Year's Eve, I kept the neighbor's children so they could go out and the children were sleeping peacefully when the whistles blew. The only noise was when a dog sat up howling at midnight. Raynell got a tricycle from some friends, and she is sitting on it now and really making a noise. Do you like children's carols? I hope you do, for if we continue to correspond, I will mention Raynell often. I hope I don't break the rules of our friendship correspondence by writing you before I give you time to consider my last letter. Sincerely, Delaphine. So she was ready. So were these correspondence clubs... Were they with the intent of meeting and possibly like getting together or were they just to correspond have someone to talk to via letters? It was to kind of build a friendship that might turn into some sort of relationship. Gotcha. So it starts with correspondence and it 
could progress beyond that, but otherwise it's just correspondence. Yes, they were encouraged to correspond with one another for a while and then eventually meet up and then kind of see what happened. I think that's what we should tell our kids to do. Sarah, here's what you're going to start out with. You're going to write letters and you're going to wait to receive a letter back and then you're going to write a letter. And then if they write you a letter, you write a letter back. I don't even think their generation knows how to write a letter. Well, if they're properly motivated, they will. I get you. No phone. No phone. Give me the phone until you learn how to write a letter. After exchanging several letters, Della invited Charles to visit her in Raynell. On January 22nd, Ray and Martha made their way out to Michigan. Della instantly fell for the charming, I don't know, should I call him Charles or Ray? Like, which is going to be less confusing? Della thinks his name is Charles, but I mean, this is kind of Ray. He's actually Ray. He's really Ray going by Charles. So, you know what I think you should call him? What? Ray Charles. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm just going to call him Ray. I'm just going to call him Ray. It's just going to be easier. Okay, but he's Ray and Charles. Right. Because she knows his fake name is Charles, but his real name is Ray. So I think you just got to go with Ray Charles. Oh, God. All right. Well, Della instantly fell for the charming Ray Charles and liked his jolly sister, Martha. Ray was pleasantly surprised at the 28-year-old's attractiveness, which made the seduction more natural. The two became sexually intimate and began planning a New York wedding. So this was like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like it just started. All the what? What? 40s love. (laughs) All the while, Ray and Martha thought of ways to turn Della's assets into cash. So they didn't care about her at all, which is so sad to me. What a horrible brother and sister. Della was enamored with her new fella and cannot stop talking about Charles, quote unquote Charles, to her friends and family. But on February 26th, Della became concerned because she had missed her period. She was afraid that a pregnancy before marriage might scare Ray away or Charles away. So she sought help from Martha. Okay, but what do you think is going to happen? If you're doing the deed and and you're not subbing it. I mean, Maybe why are people, he was like doing the pull-out method. Why are people surprised is my question. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. How did that happen? <laughs> really? Come I don't on. know. You got Ray Charles on top no. of you. What do you expect? <laughs> Goodness. Okay. I'm oh. sorry. Well, Martha saw her chance to get rid of her newest rival. So she gave Della a handful of pills, promising that these would take care of the little problem. Della immediately became drowsy and collapsed on her bed in front of Raynell. The two-year-old became frightened and began to wail. Something snapped in Martha and she began squeezing Raynell's throat until she stopped crying. Oh, that horrible. I know. I hope she I hope she dies in a fiery car crash. Ray heard the commotion and ran upstairs. Seeing Martha with her hands around the little girl's neck, Ray told her to stop. And this happened right as Della began to stir and tried to sit up. 
Knowing that when Della woke up, she would see the bruises on her daughter's neck, Ray went and grabbed Della's husband's revolver. He used a pink baby blanket as a silencer and shot Della in the head twice. These are terrible people. They're horrible people. Absolutely. Oh, God. The couple wrapped her in bed sheets and carried Della's lifeless body into the cellar. They buried her in the dirt and covered the grave with cement. Their new plan was to take Raynell back to New York with them, but the little girl became wary of the two strangers and cried for her mommy. Oh, jeez. They even bought her a puppy, but the crying never stopped and she refused to eat. Ray told Martha to get rid of her. Wanting to please her lover, she did. Ray buried the little girl in her own grave next to her mother. I'm not going to tell you how, how she I, killed her. It's, see, it's not. How can a, I don't know, how are people capable of it? You know? I don't know. I ask myself that all the time. All <sighs> the time. Why don't they just rob banks? Or something like uh, Bonnie and Clyde, you know, like that. Didn't I go over that? They killed people too, though. I know, that's true. Okay, but they didn't strangle a little two-year-old girl. No. I don't think they did anyway. I don't think so. I don't know. Anyway. Instead of heading out of town, Ray and Martha decided to see a movie. And after returning to the home, that's when the detectives knocked on the door. So this all happened within hours. So they were able to shoot Della... I'm assuming somehow strangled the little girl or what, whatever. Anyway, they killed the little girl. They drowned her. Oh, God. This even worse. Okay. I know. It's awful. Bur- awful. Buried both of them in the basement, poured concrete on top of them, and went, I know what we should do. We should go see a movie. That's what they did. Good God. I don't know what they saw. I, I actually tried to look at what I they saw, out. but I didn't. It would be out in the 40s. Can't be that much. Singing in the rain. I don't even know what that is. After admitting to the gruesome murders, the couple were transported to the Kent County Jail in Grand Rapids, where the couple were photographed and fingerprinted. Ray and Martha were taken into a small room along with the Grand Rapids District Attorney, Roger McMahon. They were to be questioned by the Kent County Deputy Sheriff Clarence Randall and an FBI Special Agent, Robert Laley. The couple were told that if they came clean about the murder of another woman in New York, Janet Fay, another one of Ray's Lonely Hearts correspondents, then were tried and convicted of the deaths of Della and Raynell in Michigan, they would not be prosecuted for any other crimes committed in another state, which for Ray and Martha was a good deal because they wouldn't be prosecuted in New York for Janet's murder because New York had the death penalty at the time, and they loved to use it. So in other words, they said, look, if you admit that you did commit this murder. In New York, Janet's murder in New York. Right. You're not going to face the death penalty for it because that's the deal we're going to cut. Because we're going to keep you in Michigan. Right. Okay. Fair enough, I guess. Ray was suspicious, but the DA assured him that the statement about Janet would only be used for the DA's own personal use and not be used against the couple in court. What the district attorney was going to use this information for, I don't really know. Like, he just wanted to know. Maybe just to close that case? 
I guess, but it really wasn't his case. It was New York's. It was in Albany. Huh. Maybe just so that they know, hey, we got the people that did it, so there isn't a murderer on the loose anymore. Yeah, that's It's It's maybe. like closure. Even yeah. though it's horrible, it's still closure for people. We all need a little bit of closure, don't we? Yeah. Well, I mean, what if there was someone around here that was breaking into people's homes, and then the cops are like, yeah, we have no idea who it is. Well, then you're always going to wonder, are they going to do it again? But if they catch someone... And they're like, hey, we definitely got the guy who's been breaking into all these homes and he's not getting out. Then everyone's going to feel better. It doesn't change the fact that he did it. He still broke into people's homes, but at least, you know, okay, well, more than likely, we're not going to have that happen again for a while. I see that. So maybe, I don't know. That's maybe what his thought was. Well, Ray looked over at Martha and said, you might as well go on and tell him about the other three. What? (laughs) Oh, God. So we're going to get into it. Are you ready? Okay, hold. Remind me. There's a lot of people. Remind me again. How old are they at this point? He's in his early 30s, and Martha is in her late 20s. So already they're serial killers. They are. 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. Already serial killers. In the 40s. In the 40s. (sighs) Remember, folks? Good old days. I wish I lived back in the good old days in the 40s when there weren't bad people. (laughs) Yes, there were. (laughs) In January 1947, Ray began to correspond with a woman by the name of Jane Wilson Thompson. She was a 40-year-old dietitian who lived in a large six-bedroom apartment on West 139th Street in New York with her elderly mother. A few days later, Ray and Jane met up in person. Their first date consisted of attending a church service and then spending the day downtown at the Central Park Zoo. After a few weeks of dating, Ray moved into the apartment Jane shared with her mom. Throughout this romance, Ray was still corresponding with his legal wife, who lived in Spain with their four children, and had started writing letters to Martha, who lived in Florida at the time. So he was a busy guy. Holy crap. In September of that same year, Ray and Jane set sail for Spain. They registered for the voyage as man and wife. After multiple stops along the trip, the couple finally made it to Spain in November even meeting up with his wife in Spain. Now, somehow Ray was able to keep both women in the dark about his relationships with them because the three of them spent almost a week together. Wait, 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 wait. Hanging out. Hold on. He takes a big rowboat across the pond (laughs) to Spain. Yes. With a woman and then arrives to his wife in Spain. Neither woman care or even suspect anything. He was a very smooth talker. No, and that's very my, charming. Yeah, that's amazing. He knew what to say to keep everyone at bay. I wonder what he told his wife, uh, Carnation or whatever her name is. <laughs> like, hey, so this is um, a woman from America and she's a friend. How, how would he have that conversation with I don't know. Jane in front of his carnation wife. I don't know. That's something I couldn't find out because Jane was only 40 
and I believe his wife was in her early 30s, too. So it's not like he could say Jane was his mom. <laughs> you couldn't be like, oh, I'm taking care of Jane. No, but wouldn't you as the wife, if I, okay. Yes, you of live, course. We live in another country. Then I come <laughs> back, we have 17 million kids. I arrive with a woman from the country I've been at. You don't have at least one or two questions? Of course I would. But you're also not that smooth of a talker. You can't lie. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I always thought I was. I wow, my bubble's really bursting. <laughs> I would know immediately, Daniel. Huh. But that's a great part of your personality and your character. But then he's not explaining to Jane that this is my wife. Honey. And his wife isn't even concerned that he's not explaining that, hi, this I'd like you to meet my wife. In Carnation Instant <laughs> Breakfast or whatever her name is. And, How many times can I tell you that there was no information on what no, no, no. he said to these two women? I, I, yeah, I believe you. I'm okay. just saying that's amazing. Okay, All I'll right, stop well, being... let me go. <laughs> let me go on. Oh, jeez. But on the night of November 7th, Ray was heard in a heated argument with Jane. It is believed that Jane might have finally figured out the true nature of Ray's relationship with that other woman. But also some believe that Ray had provoked an argument with Jane as a way of breaking up. He had gotten everything he needed from her. So there's, there's two different ways to look at this. Ray stormed out of the hotel and spent the rest of the night with his wife. Incarnation, what did we say her name was? Carnation Instant Breakfast. <laughs> Reincarnation. She just... No, say her name right because she said life. it really good. Incarnacion. Incarnacion. That's really pretty. Sure. Oh, okay. You know, it's, um, I guess it's very, it's got a lot of vowels. <laughs> well, the next morning, Jane was discovered dead in the hotel room. Oh, a local physician issued a death certificate attributing her sudden death to cardiac collapse during acute gastroenteritis. Oh, that's not fun. According to Ray, Jane had been experiencing diarrhea and constipation over the previous two weeks. How do you get both? Isn't that just called normal? Actually, I read that <laughs> diarrhea is also a symptom of constipation. Who told you that? The doctor was explaining it. <laughs> Where'd you read because that? Because basically at? your body is constipated and it gets to the point where it's so constipated it finally just lets everything out. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, so they're in the same box. They're in the same hole. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of constipation... Oh, what? And we were talking about vowels. Oh, God, Daniel. What do you call it when an alphabet poops? <laughs> what? A vowel movement. <laughs> oh, my God. That was dumb. That was, that was, that dumb. was a dad joke. And I joke. thought that up today. I swear I did. Wait, you thought that up? I did. Today. Oh, God. Who did I marry? And you just... Laid out the groundwork for me to use it <laughs> so that other people could hear how bad it was. Okay. Well, people want us to get back to the story. Okay. So she, she, the doctor thinks she died of diarrhea. <laughs> no, a cardiac collapse. 
Attributing to her in- g- gastroenteritis. Okay. So, yes. So she died of diet. Okay. All right. Investigating further, the authority. Investigating further, the authorities learned that only two days prior, Ray had gone to a pharmacy and purchased a bottle of Digitalis, a medication used to treat heart conditions. Half the bottle had been taken. I'm assuming that's too much. Yes. Okay. They think he poisoned her. Spanish authorities issued a warrant for Ray's arrest in connection with Jane's death, but by then he was already gone. He'd already skipped town. He was on another boat back to New York. Once again, leaving his wife, Carnation, (laughs) reincarnation with the four children in Spain. Right. But she'd get money every month from him. So I think she was okay with that. So he would scam other women out of money, send some of that money to reincarnation in Spain. (laughs) Yes. Goodness, this guy, man. I know. When does he just relax? Never. All right. Ray arrived back in New York on December 8th, breaking the news to Jane's mother that she had died and producing a copy of Jane's will. Shortly before her death, she had signed over her apartment and all her earthly goods to him. What? Mm-hmm. But Ray told Why? Because she loved him. Oh, God. This guy could talk. You're right. I can't, I'm not that good. <laughs> but, I just can't. But Ray told Jane's neighbors that she had died in a train accident. He was kind of an idiot. Okay. He was a smooth talker, but he was kind of an idiot. All right. A few days before Christmas, Ray sent a telegram to Martha telling her that he could not bear to wait any longer to see her. And Martha was ecstatic. So he's just bouncing from one to the next. I don't know how he keeps it straight or his letter straight. Goodness. It's like a guy texting, you know, 10 women at one time. How do you keep that straight? I can't. I have a hard time juggling three text, text feet, text streams, streams, text. Yeah. (laughs) Text rivers. Oh, my gosh. Text pawns. Okay, well, finished your thought. I forgot. Oh, oh Lord. Ray and Martha met when Ray answered Martha's ad from the Standard Correspondence Club, which is another Lonely Hearts Club. Martha was captivated by Ray's letter and immediately wrote him back. Well, he had the voodoo magic in the letter, so of course she was captivated. They began writing to each other back and forth multiple times a week. Soon, the correspondence letters turned longer and more romantic. In early September, Ray told her that he would be leaving for Spain, but would come visit her in Pensacola when he returned. For Martha, Ray was a dream come true. She had been unlucky in love her entire life. And Martha was ready for her happily ever after. God, these women are so trusting. Well, it's the 40s. I know. Martha Jewel Seabrook was born in May of 1920 in Milton, Florida. She was the youngest of five children. When Martha was nine, she was diagnosed with a glandular disorder, which caused her to physically mature earlier than most girls her age. So she looked like a woman 
very young. Uh, yeah, at like 12. Yeah. Great. But this also made her quiet and shy because she was bigger right, than all right. the other girls. Yeah. In 1938, Martha graduated from high school and ranked seventh in her class. She was really smart. Martha attended nursing school and graduated in 1942, earning the highest grade average in her class. You know what? I I earned almost the highest grade average in my class. What? Yeah, when I was younger. Oh, because you were homeschooled? I was, yeah, I was homeschooled, so... Competing with your brothers? That's <laughs> fine. Did you have a crush on your teacher too? Yeah, at the school dance. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, would you have to dance with your brothers? No, I danced with my mom. <laughs> oh, God. Thank goodness they don't listen to us. <laughs> No, oh, none of gosh. that is true. He well, says part of it. <laughs> All right. Well, I was I was in the bottom of my class. Uh, <laughs> I was I was um, third. I'm ranked third in my class. You're of, the dumbest of all your of brothers. Yeah. I'm the middle, but I was the yeah I was the dumbest. Oh gosh! All right. Whew. Despite her impressive scores, Martha was getting passed over for potential jobs because of her robust size. See, now you would have thought that would have given her a leg up or a chest up in the competition, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, because you have to move people from beds. Like you want to be big and strong, I would think. Oh, when they say Robust. Oh, I was thinking bust size, not robust. <laughs> no, good Daniel. What? Okay. Well, you're the one that said she was mature. I was thinking bust. You're thinking about boobs. No. Yes, you were. Well, a little bit. Well, Martha was a big girl. Okay. She was okay. five foot eight, and some put her weight around 200 pounds, and oh. others put her weight at around 300 pounds. Why this is important, I don't know, you guys, but if I didn't tell you that and then you went and read more about it, you'd be like, Melissa okay. skipped over I'm this sorry. part. I'm sorry. I was kind of making a joke because it said robust size. I thought you meant like she had big, big boobs. Oh, you but really actually, did? Yeah, but, you, no, but she, she actually was a big girl. She was a big girl. Okay, all right. Yeah, all but right. she was so, strong. And no, like, I get it. Like an ox. She was passed over for jobs because she kind of appeared as this kind of big girl- for whatever reason, it just, they didn't want that. Right. But she was really smart and she was friendly. Like she was the perfect nurse. She was just a yeah. bigger girl. So I don't understand that. But, okay. you know, okay. I don't understand things like that. Martha finally got a nursing job in Vallejo, California. Mm -hmm. She proved to be a valuable nurse and was reported as being friendly and brilliant. Many nice. people who were interviewed said she was brilliant. I used to work in Vallejo a lot. After a one-night stand with a Vallejo bus driver, Martha became pregnant. Martha moved back to Pensacola wearing a diamond engagement ring and a wedding band. She told everyone that she married a Navy officer. He was on active duty and could not come visit. She gave birth to the baby and knew that her family would be asking when her husband would be coming out to meet the new addition. 
Martha was found weeping at work and told her fellow nurses that she had received a telegram from the Navy informing her that her husband had been killed in action in the Battle of the Pacific. Oh, jeez. So this was a big old lie. In January of 1944, Martha was pregnant again by another one-night stand. Goodness. At six months pregnant, Martha met bus driver Alfred Beck. He became her boyfriend. Okay. Martha gave birth to her second child in September of 1944. Alfred and Martha were married three months later. That very same day that they were married, a woman knocked on the door of their new home. And this woman had four kids standing behind her. Oh, God. This woman said, since you took my man, you get to take his children. (laughs) And left the children on the porch. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Yes. Just left the kids on the porch. What is happening? Well, Well, Martha worked it out with Albert. And by March, Martha was pregnant again. Now, I don't know if they kept... custody of the four kids because that was it that was the entire story okay but martha and albert stayed together and then she was pregnant again but after contracting gonorrhea and learning of alfred's newest affair she filed for divorce in may of 1945 and gave birth to she and albert's child seven months later And in 1946, condoms were invented. (laughs) In February of 1946, Martha was promoted to a superintendent position with the Northwest Florida Crippled Children's Home. This was actually a very distinguished job for her, which is pretty cool. But wait, wait, I need to say a disclaimer here. Okay. Now, in the book, the author says that she gave birth three times but only ever mentions two children in the rest of the book. And in all the information that I read, it only ever talks about two children, not three children. So I just want to kind of put that out there for everyone. So what do you think the third child's about? I don't know. Oh, okay. To be honest, I've only, only in the book doesn't mention her giving birth to children three times or live children three times. Gotcha. Do you think it's the joke that people say like, yeah, so I have two wonderful children and another one? (laughs) No, I don't know. Maybe the oldest one lived with her parents. I don't know. I don't want to say anything because I don't know for sure. This is complex. But it's very complex. That's why this is so long. I know. It was a sort of joke by one of her employees that led Martha to corresponding with Ray. One of her nurses had signed her up for the Lonely Hearts Club, and Martha just kind of went with it. So that was kind of nice. I th- Well, no, I guess it didn't end up nice. Never mind. But had this woman not signed her up, who knows who could have been saved, True. right? Can I make a pretty obvious <laughs> observation? Of course. Poor Martha does not have the best common sense when it comes to making choices. Not with men. She I mean, was very book smart. Goodness, right? Like, but just but relationship smart. I no. met someone yesterday. I'm pregnant. <laughs> like, good lord, already? You just barely <laughs> met him, and then she's like, "I should write someone and 
do this again? Like, how many times does it take for you to think maybe I should just be alone? Sorry. Ray and Martha finally met in person two weeks before Christmas at the Pensacola train station. She was immediately smitten with the handsome five foot eight, 160 pound man in front of her with the slicked back, dark colored hair, which was a toupee. I was to say, it looks like me. Except for not. For the next two days, the new couple enjoyed each other's company, mm-hmm. and Ray even played with her children. Well, that was nice of him. Ray promised Martha before he left that he would send her money so she could join him in New York. But on December 23rd, Ray wrote Martha a letter saying that he had made a mistake and she should stay in Florida. Oh. Well, Martha was devastated. And on December 26th, she tried to end her life and her children's lives, but a neighbor smelled the gas and saved them. Oh, God. I know. I know. Because she has 1,700 kids. <laughs> she has three or two. And, okay. Right. Two, oh, possibly three. Wrong. Because the other guy's 14 kids Four. went with him, right? When they. Or left with their mom. Right. But, I don't know. And she, and now we got to recap a little bit. And she contracted the gonocephaherpalades from him. Is that right? From Albert. Albert. Albert was a player. Right. He was a bus driving player. Okay. So Prince Albert. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. Got it. But you got he, it? So they're separate. They're no. They're done. Together. They're divorced. And he has his own kids. With his wife. Before. Okay. So she, that now she's just Or his back. wife before her. So she's just back to her own. Yeah, she's single and ready to mingle. Fun. This neighbor that ended up saving Martha and her children's lives mailed Martha's suicide letter to Ray. And this frightened Ray. So he invited Martha out to New York for a two-week trip. And she happily accepted. What? The couple took in the New York sights, going to dinner and seeing Broadway shows. And they were having some fun. In the bedroom, FYI. Now, because of Ray's voodoo practices. Oh, right. The voodoo. I forgot. It also made him an amazing lover. Oh, you know what? There's a lot of pluses with the voodoo thing. I'm going to look that up when we're all done with this. (laughs) And she experienced things that she had never experienced before. Gotcha. And he taught her the art of cunnilingus. Ah, Okay. And a little Colonel Angus. Colonel Angus. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And if no one knows what that's referring to. Then you're too young to be listening to our podcast. <laughs> go to YouTube. Type in Colonel Angus. For best of SNL. And it'll pop up. Yeah, it's fine. You'll be. Okay. Let's many, get out, out of the wasted, dirty stuff. Many wasted hours. So remember when he got Jane's apartment after she died. Correct. And he said that her mom could stay living there with him. Sure. Well, he kicked her to the curb and sent her to Jane's brother's house. Of course. In South Carolina. Right. So she wasn't there. So these two were having a blast without Grammy there. Okay. Before Martha went back to Florida, Ray told her that he loved her, but that he already had a wife in Spain. She needed to forget about him 
and then Ray sent her home. But on January 19th, Ray received a call from Martha. She was at Penn Station with her son and her daughter. Ray was annoyed, but Martha explained that she had lost her job and had nowhere else to go. So he went and picked him up. Okay, so now she knows he's married with children. Yes. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. That she, one's in Spain. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Yes. They'll figure it out. There's always cunnilingus. <laughs> but, I'm sorry. There's, however. There's always Colonel Angus. However, the very next day, Ray gave Martha an ultimatum. If she wanted to be with him, the children had to go. And where would they go? Torn between the love of her children and the love of a man who she believed to be her everything, Martha chose her man and took her children to a Salvation Army shelter. She waited till they were asleep and snuck out of the facility, never to see them again. Oh, my God. I know. I know. I'm somewhat speechless. What the hell is wrong with this? <laughs> this is a wild story. Okay. Martha Stewart has absolutely <laughs> lost her bloody mind. She clearly. has. And then you got Ray Charles here. He is... I don't blame him. She's dumber in a pile of rocks. It, You know what? What is he going to do? He's taking advantage, I guess. No, it was his voodoo charm. Really? You really think that is it? <laughs> no, I, I'm gonna of look course it up. not. I'm going to look it up. Well, the couple were deliriously happy together. But, deliriously? But quickly were running out of money. That's when Ray filled Martha in on his scheming ways. Martha pledged her undying love to Ray and became his accomplice in this Lonely Hearts Club scam. So not only was she not turned off by it, she was turned on by it. She would have done anything oh, for Ray. my God. She just wanted him to be happy and to be with her. <sighs> Even if that meant pretending to be in love with other women. Ray soon set his eyes on 40-year-old Myrtle Young from Green Forest, Arkansas. According to her profile, she had $6,000 in savings, which is $83,000 today. That's not bad. After exchanging several lengthy letters, Myrtle agreed to meet Charles Martin and his sister Martha at their home now in Chicago. So they moved their situation to Chicago for a while. Myrtle stayed with them at their new apartment. Martha and Myrtle <laughs> Martha and Myrtle shared one bedroom while Ray slept in the other. Murder murder Myrtle Turtle <laughs> fell for Ray and his charm almost immediately. Two days later, Myrtle married Ray in a civil ceremony while Martha looked on. Two days. Two days. What the, f what is happening here? <laughs> Myrtle signed over all her assets to her new husband. What? Later that evening, Ray told Martha to get rid of Myrtle, so she slipped her a heavy dose of barbiturates, and it caused her to lose consciousness. I don't think that he wanted to have sexy time with Myrtle. Well, and I think Martha didn't want him to have sexy time with Myrtle. Okay. So he married her, immediately got access to her assets, and then was like, all right, you do the rest, Martha. Huh. 
Early the next morning, the couple put Myrtle on a Greyhound bus headed back to Arkansas. On August 18th in Springfield, Missouri, a bus driver found Myrtle dazed and incoherent, slumped against the back of the seat. She was carried off the bus and taken to the nearest hospital. She died a week later from heart disease, but the doctor who treated her said that he suspected that Myrtle may have suffered a cerebral hemorrhage a week or two before her death, a condition found in people who have been severely beaten or otherwise hit in the head. So it is believed that, yes, she took all these barbiturates, but they had also hit her in the head so they hit beat her, her up. Yeah, they hit her while she was unconscious. Right. How do you place an unconscious person on a bus? That's a great question. I mean, they, I, I, I mean, I understand physically how. It's like Weekend at Bernie's. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Is it because it's the 40s and they just go, oh, she's fine. She's just really tired and... She's been hitting the sauce a lot lately. Yeah, she just needs to sleep it off. She'll Mm -hmm. be fine. Okay, yeah, put her on. I don't know. Could you do that now? Could you carry an unconscious person and put them on a Greyhound bus? I don't know. I don't think you can do that. I I think I would ask questions, especially if I was a bus driver. Yeah, I think it sounds like a terrible idea. It's absolutely horrific idea. Huh. All right. Well, so they managed to pull yet again something off successfully. Yes. There were a few other women that Ray and Martha swindled in between all of these ladies. One woman Ray found extremely attractive was 39-year-old Irene Delapointe in Vermont. Oh, she sounds sexy. The couple posing as Charles Martin and his sister traveled to meet Irene, and Ray ended up staying at her house while Martha was made to stay at a boarding house. Mm-hmm. I think Ray really liked this girl. After several weeks together, Ray and Irene were engaged, and Martha was not happy. She was smoldering with jealousy. She suspected that Ray had actually fallen for Irene, and that would not do. So Martha wrote the soon-to-be bride a three-page letter detailing their entire scheme and Ray's true motives. Um, well, that's kind of stupid. And Irene immediately broke off their engagement and kicked Ray out of her home. Ray was so furious that he broke up with Martha and put her on a bus bound for Florida. He's got the bus thing down. He does. A week later, Ray had a change of heart, realizing that he did love Martha and wanted her back. So she went back to him with open arms. Well, she kind of helped him. So I bet he, he realized, her. yeah, without her, mm-hmm. he was like, oh, I guess I can't do this on my own. By December, he and Martha had moved into an apartment in the village of Valley Stream in Long Island. And Ray had decided to go after a woman by the name of Janet Fay from Albany, New York. So we're back to the beginning. We're back to Janet. Does that name sound familiar to you? Vaguely. It was the name that they asked him in the beginning if he knew who Janet Faye oh, was. Oh, okay. All okay, right. So here we if are. I just, brought... Yeah, if you just admit that you were responsible for her disappearance. Right. Okay. So I brought you full circle. Did you see what I did there? Yeah, I just can't even grasp how he was able to convince all these women, especially like the, the whole 
Well, they met each other, and then within a week, they were engaged. Who does that? I don't know. Okay, let's get back to Janet. Please. Janet's profile stated that she was 41 years old, 5 foot 4 inches tall, and 135 pounds. She wrote that she was attractive and loved to dance. Janet also said that she had $7,000 in savings, which is almost $100,000 today. Good for her. Janet was also recently widowed, and she had been married for over 20 years. Janet immediately fell for the charming Charles, because he's going by Charles again. Mm. Ray and Martha drove to Albany to meet her on December 30th. When Janet opened the door, Ray had to try hard to maintain his suave composure because the 41-year-old Janet was actually in her mid-60s. Oh, goodness. Yeah, she she lied oh, she a little lied. bit. Good for her. Yeah. Why not? But that's okay. Everyone else is. The two made polite small talk and then went to dinner and a movie. The next day, Charles introduced Janet to his sister over breakfast, and they hit it off. Janet invited her new beau and his sister to stay with her in her small apartment. And soon the two were talking about marriage. What? And Ray told Janet that he wanted to wait to be physically intimate until they were married. And Janet agreed. A few nights into the sleeping arrangements, Ray on the couch and Janet and Martha sharing the Murphy bed. Y'all know what a Murphy bed is, right? It's the, the bed that's up on the wall that you pull down to save space. Do you want me to answer for the people listening? No, I'm just reminding yes, them what a Murphy yes, bed is. we know what okay. a Murphy bed is. All right. <laughs> Janet, believing that Martha was asleep, she made her move on Ray, <laughs> and they caressed and petted for a few hours. Ooh, caressed and petted. It was everything short of intercourse. But Martha was awake the whole time and listening. So, oh, God. Okay, wait a minute. What? <sighs> Okay, so Ray Romano is <laughs> is 40 now. Late 30s? No, he's like in his mid-30s. Mid-30s. Okay. And Janet is in Janet. her 60s. And I read that she was 61, but I also read that she was 66. Janet is almost dead. No. <laughs> because life expectancy in the 40s, I mean, it was less for men. Women was like 60s, 70s maybe. So he should have just married her and then hung on for a few years. It would be like you pretending to be asleep while I fool around with an 89-year-old woman, <laughs> in, you know, around the corner. And you can hear us. Oh, boy. I'm just putting it in perspective. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. It actually would be even worse than that because I'm old. <laughs> There's See? so many things I could say running through my head right now, no, but, but I'm I, not going to say it. She's twice his age, almost. Yeah. Goodness. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Why not? Hitting up the nursing homes. Why not? Go ahead. The next morning, Janet took Ray to the bank and withdrew all of her money. He had persuaded her to let him be in control of her finances. So the $100,000. Sorry, I got to interrupt you. This was the following morning from the night when they're fooling around while Martha's hearing them but pretending to be asleep. Yes. 
You know what? I got to get that voodoo book. I got to get the voodoo book. Later on that day, the three of them headed to Long Island to Ray and Martha's new apartment. So now they're living in Long Island. So they're moving around. Yeah. They're never in one place for very long. So Janet is like, oh, my gosh, you need to handle all my money for me. And he's like, yeah. I think he talked her into it. He knew exactly what to say. Man, this guy's good. I'm Uh, impressed, actually. After they got to the apartment, Martha cooked dinner and Janet began discussing wedding plans with Ray because she was very excited. The sleeping arrangements were the same, Ray on the couch and Janet and Martha on the double bed. While Janet took a bath, Martha tried to seduce Ray, but he told her they needed to wait. Oh, he rejected he her rejected advances. Her. Mm-hmm. Now, Ray and Martha have given a few different accounts as to what happened to Janet Faye that night. I'm going to tell you the most popular version, and then I'm going to tell you a couple other little versions of it, and then we'll just kind of go from there. Janet believed Martha to be asleep, so she crept out of bed and went into the living room to try to seduce Ray. Martha walked out of the bedroom and saw a naked Janet with Ray's arm around her. Martha was burning with jealousy and rage, and she and Janet began to argue loudly, loud enough for neighbors and people to hear. Janet got so upset that she strikes Martha in the face. Okay. Ray allegedly tells Martha to keep this woman quiet. I don't care what you do, just keep her quiet. Martha said that she blacked out, and when she woke up, Janet was lying at her feet, bleeding profusely from a severe head wound. Martha had hit Janet multiple times with a ball-peen hammer. But Janet wasn't dead. She was lying there in a pool of blood, just moaning. So Ray grabbed a scarf and wrapped it around Janet's neck, using the hammer to tighten the scarf, twisting it like a tourniquet. Yeah. And Janet was strangled to death. So he kept it tight until she stopped moaning. Right. Martha did give multiple statements that varied from her original statement over the years following. Sometimes it has Ray coming into Martha's room and telling her, you need to get this woman off of me. You need to get this woman to behave. And then Martha would walk out in the living room and Janet would be sprawled naked across the couch and then jump up and be embarrassed and put her robe on. And then Martha would, you know, belittle her. And then they would get in a screaming fight and then Martha would hit her over the head. And sometimes the story was that Ray had told Martha to get rid of Janet because she was having second thoughts on marrying Ray and giving him her money. Okay. The couple then bound Janet's body with a blue drape and a clothesline they kept in the bathroom. She was then put in the closet until they could figure out what to do with her. They cleaned up the murder scene and then went to bed. The next day, Ray and Martha drove into Queens and purchased a large trunk. Janet's body was placed inside the trunk, and then it was pushed up against a wall with a tablecloth put over it and a clock on top. 
Sure. It was now a piece of decoration, a piece of furniture with a dead, rotting body in it. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. On Saturday the 8th, the trunk was moved to Ray's sister's cellar until they could figure out a permanent location. The sister had no knowledge that there was a body in this trunk. She just thought her brother needed to store some stuff. Yeah, just extra stuff he had in a A random trunk. A couple days later, Ray secured a new house that fit their needs, a two-story house with a cellar in South Ozone Park in Queens. Ray dug the six-foot grave next to the cellar's oil-burning furnace. After retrieving the trunk with Martha, Ray dumped Janet's decomposing body into the hole, covered her with dirt, and poured a layer of concrete back over the exposed dirt. After the cement hardened after three days, Ray called the landlord of the new apartment and told them that the house did not suit the couple anymore and that they would no longer be renting the place. Oh, that was smart. I thought that was smart, too. I mean, I was all set to say, everyone knows you're not supposed to bury bodies in your own cellar. Yeah, somebody else's. But in this case, this isn't his house. He rented the house and then changed his mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you wonder if you went down into the cellar of your house that you were renting out to someone and you're like, that's weird. There's fresh concrete down here. Well, yeah, because concrete takes on a different tone almost when it's fresh sitting next to something that's been poured for a year or two. Well, I'm assuming this is a dirt floor. No, it was actually a concrete floor. So he had to bust through the old concrete Oh, yeah. Interesting. And then poured new concrete. Oh, okay. Ray was also in construction, so he gotcha. knew what okay. he was doing. Right. Same with um, Della and Raynell's graves. Right. He had to bust through concrete to get to the dirt and then buried them and then put concrete back on top. Fresh concrete. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I got it. Sorry if I didn't explain that very no, well. No, that's all right. A few days later, Janet's stepdaughter, Mary Spencer, received a typed letter from Janet. It talked about how happy she was and that she was going to be moving to Florida. Mary knew immediately that something was off. The letter was typed, and Janet did not know how to type, nor had she ever owned a typewriter. Mary then learned that Janet's home had been sold for $6,000, and that all the funds in her account had been withdrawn. Mary took the letter and her suspicion to the police and reported Janet Fay as a missing person. So somehow Ray was able to get these women to give them the money that they had in their bank accounts, most of them to sell their houses or their cars, and then he would either murder them or he would just steal their money and leave. And they were so desperate for love. They just wanted a nice guy to spend the rest of their lives with. That's crazy. Somebody who was attracted to them. On January 18th, Ray and Martha set their sights on their next scam, Della and her daughter, Raynell. So they haven't saved any of this money? They just keep spending it. And he's sending a lot of it to Spain. To take care of his wife and the four children. So what's weird is he still has a a sense of responsibility to his wife and kids. And they have no interest in him. They're not like, hey, when are you coming home? What's going on? How come you're gone? Well, the whole deal was that he was supposed to move to New York 
and then save enough money to send over to his wife to bring the wife and the four kids over to America. Now, when you're thinking about all this money, he's getting $6,000, $7,000, which in today, that would be in $80,000 or $100,000. So why he wasn't bringing his wife over? Right. I don't understand that. But it had also been a few years and maybe she just didn't want to leave Spain anymore. Maybe that wasn't the plan. So he was just sending her money whenever he could. She probably suspected something but thought, you know what? As long as he sends me money, I don't really care anymore. Right. And then she could do her own thing. Well, or or guy. <laughs> One or the other. Okay. She probably has a friend in Spain. Oh, I'm sure. She sounded like a very attractive. Yeah. So she's, she's taking care of it. It's fine. Upon confirming Ray and Martha's involvement in Janet's disappearance, the Michigan detectives contacted the New York police. They spent a full day digging for the body of Janet at the Ozone Park rental home. Janet was finally found late into the evening. According to the autopsy report, Janet was found badly decomposed, wrapped in twine, in a jackknife position. So they had folded so, her so in she, half. Yeah, she's folded. Oh, my gosh. Two circular wounds on her head entered her cranial cavity. One wound was high on the back of Janet's head, and the other was visible above her right ear. Janet also had a fractured larynx, which happened before she died. If we remember, Ray and Martha were promised by the district attorney in Grand Rapids that if they confessed to Janet Faye's murder, they would remain in Michigan. But during the hearing on the state of New York's motion to extradite the Levers back to New York, the Grand Rapids DA agreed with the New York's NASA County assistant DA when he said that Ray and Martha should be extradited back to New York. So he flipped. Gotcha. So he lied. He Ish. lied to them. Yeah. yeah. And then the judge agreed. Uh, Yeah. Send him back. So the murderous couple were shipped back to New York to stand trial for the murder of Janet Fay. There they would face the death penalty. The trial began on June 28, 1949. The murder and trial had become a media circus. Ray took the stand in his own defense. Smart. Telling the jury that his confession was only to help save Martha. And Martha got on the stand and said that she was the one who murdered Janet and strangled her to death, not Ray. So she was taking the blame. What? The prosecution was able to enter the details of the deaths of Jane Thompson, Delaphine, and Raynell Downing, and Myrtle Young into the trial. Gotcha. And they were all dead after meeting Ray because Jane met Ray before he was even with Martha. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, they're able to now bring all of these women, all the, these cases forward. Right. Yeah. They were allowed to. They could all be discussed. The defendants' lengthy confessions with all the gory details came back to haunt them over and over again during the trial. On August 18, 1949, after 44 days of testimony, the case went to the jury. 
The jury deliberated through the night, and at 8.30 the next morning, they had a verdict. Ray and Martha were both found guilty of the first-degree murder of Janet Fay. On August 22nd, the judge sentenced both of them to death by electric chair. It took them all night to find them guilty? I'm surprised. There was one holdout who believed that there was something psychologically wrong with Martha. Okay. And so was kind of holding out for more of a second degree murder or manslaughter for Martha. Like but maybe, ended up changing. Like maybe he used voodoo magic on her? Something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which right. he did talk a lot about his voodoo. A lot of voodoo. Up on the stand. And Martha liked to talk about their sex life up on the stand. Yeah. So between So that's the, fun in the 40s. Yeah. Voodoo and the Colonel Angus. <laughs> they were sent to Sing Sing Prison to await their fate. On March 8th, 1951, the day of their execution, Martha asked for fried chicken, french fries, and a lettuce and tomato salad. Ray asked for an onion omelet, french fries, chocolate, and a Cuban cigar. Goodness, that's quite a mix. An onion omelet. Oh, I like a good onion omelet Mm. right before I smoke a cigar. There's (laughs) nothing like having that taste in your mouth for the next 17 days. I think most people would ask for French fries. I think I would ask for French fries. Would you? Yeah, like a good BLT on sourdough with French fries. Huh. Maybe. I don't know. No. Maybe nothing. I know. I'm hungry too. At 11 p.m., they were led to the electric chair, the green monster. Sure. Ray went first. He became paralyzed with fear and had to be carried into the chair. He professed his love for Martha. And then the switch was flipped. It was also, (laughs) I also read that they always did the weakest first. And so they said Ray was the weakest out of the two of them. So he went first. Oh. Mm -hmm. It's quite a blow to his ego. Martha was brought in only minutes later. She mouthed the words so long. And at 1124, she was pronounced dead. Now, before she was led from her cell, Martha made a statement to the press, and it just about sums up their love story. What does it matter who is to blame? My story is a love story, but only those tortured with love can understand what I mean. I was pictured as a fat, unfeeling woman. I am not unfeeling, stupid or moronic. In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? That's a good question, Martha. I have a question. What? Where the hell's the wife and the kids from Spain? They just stayed there? Did anyone give them a call? Yeah, they just stayed there. (laughs) No, they just stayed there. All right, fun fact. You ready for a fun fact? Goodness, what, what else is there? It came to light after the executions that Martha had written out a final confession as to what really happened to Janet Fay on the night she died. She had given the document to her psychiatrist, Dr. Richard Hoffman. Dr. Hoffman, Ray must have heard the argument between Janet and I, for when she slapped me, he prevented us from having a free-for-all. He told me to go back to bed, that he wanted to talk to Janet. I left the room crying and threw myself on the bed, 
and to drown out my crying, I buried my face in my pillow. Some minutes later, Ray called to me, and the sound of his voice frightened me as he sounded frightened. I ran into the room and was horrified at the sight. Ray was standing over Mrs. Fay with both hands around her neck. Blood was flowing all over the place from her head, and she was moaning faintly. I ran over to him and said, My God, Ray, stop that! He said, This moaning is driving me crazy. With those words, he dropped her head back on the floor and jerked a neck scarf off a chair and put it around her neck. He put the hammer in the knot and tightened it until the scarf broke. By this time, I was trying to talk some sense to him, but he told me to shut up. He then took another scarf off the chair and put it around her neck. He told me to hold the hammer. I said, why? She's dead. Why did you kill her? Then and only then do I believe that he realized what he had done because he sat down on the couch and said, my God, my God, what have I done? I did not strike Janet Fay with a hammer. Neither did I have anything to do with killing her. I never killed anyone in my life. Now, according to Hoffman, he showed the confession to Ray, who admitted it to be true. And although Hoffman pleaded with him to confess, Ray refused saying, it's all true, every bit of it. But if I go to the chair, Martha goes too. What do you think about them, Apples? She was a co-conspirator. She was a willing participant. So, I mean, she she made it possible for him to murder. And she killed Raynell. She killed the baby. So she deserved to But she's saying she didn't kill anyone. No, well... She didn't say anything about the baby in that. She just said about Janet, but... I'm not buying it. I think she killed at least somebody. Yeah, the baby. Because how else could she stand by and not stop it? I think someone has to also be pretty messed up to be capable of that. There's a lot of things in their past, too, that I think attributed to... Oh, they're messed this, up. This oh, yeah. that I didn't get too far into, but the information's there. And this book was great. If you guys have more questions, go check out this book. It's on Amazon or it's on Scribd if you have Scribd, which is a great app to have. But yeah, Daniel, what did you think of my case? That's one of the more crazy ones. That's for sure. Yeah, I thought this one was going to be relatively easy. And then I just started going down the rabbit hole and found this book. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, there's so much to it. Yeah, it was a lot. But I'm glad I did this one. I think it's really interesting. It's just fascinating that they did all that in the 40s. Yeah. Because you think now, you know, you have technology and you can fly and you can contact people quickly. You can send money. You can do all those kinds of things. So I'm trying to picture them doing all of that then. With the technology that existed then, which was zero. Well, I'm doing a more condensed version, obviously. Like them acquiring all that money didn't just happen overnight. They had to go bank to bank to bank to get checks cashed and to sell the houses and things like that. So it actually took a while for them to acquire all of these things, but you know, they still did it. They still patiently did it. That's what I'm getting at. Because nowadays you could do it easily in a very short period of time. Then they had to be able to follow through with all of these transactions. And still these women were convinced enough to do it. I guess. What's the answer? Just say no. (laughs) (laughs) Just say no to love. 
Be picky, I guess. And if a man shows up at your front door with a sister. Oh, geez. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. Red flag. (laughs) Yeah. It's not even a red flag. It's more like a train horn. It's a warning. Well, my sources for this case were the book Tortured with Love, The True Crime Romance of the Lonely Hearts Killers by J.T. Hunter. I do want to read the author's source materials because he did spend a lot of time going through everything. Now, due to the age of the events of the story, many of the original source materials were long ago discarded or destroyed. Ray and Martha's records from Sing Sing were well-maintained. However, police files were no longer available despite multiple requests to the investigating agencies in Michigan and New York. Fortunately, the various statements given by the Lonely Hearts killers while in police custody in Michigan were preserved as part of the trial proceeding and the record on appeal. So that's where his source, gotcha. his sources came from. I did read a bunch of articles and the case synopsis on crimelibrary.com called The Lonely Hearts Killers by Mark Gatto. And there is a movie set to be filmed based on this case using crime junkies retelling as its source. Oh, wow. Which is, is kind of interesting to me. That's going to make for quite a movie. Right. And there is a movie out there starring Selma Hayek as Martha. Really? And I think it's called The Lonely Hearts Killers. And I think, yeah. How close to reality do they... I wonder. Selma Hayek? No, she's like a sexy bombshell in this movie. But not at all like what Martha looked like. And then Ray was not very attractive. And I'll post pictures, but I don't know how he got all these women without, you know, a little voodoo magic, I guess. Huh. Yeah. So that's my case. I hope you all enjoyed it. That was good. All right. Well. Good job. Be careful. Her marriage could be multiple life sentences in this case. (laughs) Well, they got the electric chair. They died. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.